Hello and welcome to Markets Extra, the podcast where we discuss what's moving markets and what makes traders tick. My name is Han Tan, market analyst at FXTM. So almost everywhere you look across global financial markets, we are seeing new record highs. From the S&P 500 to Bitcoin, risk assets have had a fabulous February. So what's driving all this market action? And more importantly, how long can it last? Well, to help me contemplate that question, I'm joined by market commentator, Jamie Dada. Jamie, great having you on the uh, podcast once more. Great to speak to you again, Han. Always a pleasure being here. So uh, look forward to the next uh, 20 minutes or half an hour or so. Yeah, indeed, sir. And uh, certainly the markets are having quite a pleasurable time as well, at least risk assets in particular. So as I mentioned just a few moments ago, stocks, oil, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you name it, is just on this unrelenting climb. Perhaps we can begin, uh, Jamie, by just outlining some of these driving forces that are at work right now. Yeah, the sea of green is quite amazing, isn't it? Everywhere on our screens that we look, you know, record highs everywhere, equities green, value outperforming, higher commodities, like you said. Um, I think, you know, we go back to the the well-known factors, if you like, from last year, which are still helping markets, which, you know, include historic government and central bank stimulus, of course, um, record low borrowing costs. And then the new US administration, you know, along with this rollout in vaccines, which is sort of uh, across the globe in, in various stages at various speeds. But yeah, really this double boost of the vaccines and the fiscal stimulus with uh, Biden's, you know, 1.9 trillion potentially um, or 1.5 trillion now I've seen it as um, fueling really this, this rush to riskier assets. And I think even we had over the weekend cheerleader Yellen um, dangling the carrot, if you like, of, um, you know, full employment by next year. If you support this, uh, you know, this robust fiscal package and the biggest risk was not actually doing you know enough to help businesses and, you know, the unemployed. So, um, yeah, we've we've had gross forecast, you know, revisions up now, you know, big investment banks, six and a half percent or so for this year and close to 5% next year. So, yeah, the sort of factors that we've had for the last few months since last year, really, have just been boosted by the rollout of vaccines, you know, infections coming down, and then we're getting closer to this sign-off. Now, let's dive into that number, right? That $1.9 trillion fiscal stimulus plan. And by the way, fiscal stimulus means is the government's way of spending more, and that puts money into the pockets of businesses, of households and economic sectors, you know, so that hopefully they can spend and that helps the economy to recover. Okay, fiscal stimulus. So if you look at the talks or at least the reports about how talks are going, right, it doesn't seem to be this clear cut path. So, you know, the idea that markets are pricing in this perfection, so to speak, yeah, 1.9 trillion fiscal dollar uh, stimulus. It seems to be like a foregone conclusion, but you know, is it really a foregone conclusion? In other words, you know, could this 1.9 trillion dollars figure that we are so fixated on, could that actually trip markets up? 
if we see something less. We're, we're talking in the trillions, whatever it is. So in a way, um, the market has already priced us in, right? Uh, one trillion, one point something trillion. You know, as I said, potentially there's a, a possibility of a larger package, you know, which would then increase growth expectations even more. So, um, you know, I think in a way we've moved on from that now and we've moved on to higher inflation ultimately, you know, and higher inflation expectations. And I think the market is getting very, we, we did at the start of the year, and I think now we've come back to it again, you know, with this talk of the package getting signed or at least getting through with a 50-50 Kamala Harris vote. So, you know, now we're getting into the sort of six months and beyond stage, uh, you know, with the higher inflation expectations, higher prices. Um, and at the moment, the market is taking inflation as being a symptom of growth, whereas potentially, if we look on the other side as an inflation as a problem, then you know, then you get your higher interest rates, and potentially the market will pull back, but not at this stage. And everybody is exceptionally exuberant, should we say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite something indeed. And we will get into that uh, topic about inflation and the potential tapering by the Fed here in just a bit. But I just want to address something that is going on in the markets right now. Uh, we are doing this recording right in the middle of earnings season in the US. So we have seen those evergreen tech stocks, right, once again, outperforming. You juxtapose that with expectations coming into this year. You thought, okay, well, it's time for that rotation away from tech. And you've got, you know, perhaps the constituents of the Russell 2000, um, you know, some of these stocks that are in the real economic sector, so to speak, perhaps them taking the charge this year. But then that hasn't really materialized now, has it? So it seems to be still a tech dominated story, at least for a while longer. I mean, do you see that narrative really gaining traction? Uh, I guess the answer to that would be if and when that fiscal stimulus is rolled out, eh? What do you think? No, I think you're right. I think, um, yeah, earnings have been stupendous. You know, I think, you know, nearly 97% or something of reports from tech have beaten. You know, that's that goes against sort of more than 80% of S&P companies, you know, beating analyst expectations. Uh, and it is surprising in a way that high growth stocks haven't been hit as yields increase. Um, I think that is a surprise. So, you know, the dollar's gone up, yields have gone up, risk has gone up, which is this, you know, the unnerving part for quite a few of us, really. Um, but I think, yeah, value stocks, small caps, cyclicals, that type of thing, you're seeing those now perform better, uh, and especially overnight, say, for example. So, so when those stocks are performing better, then potentially, you know, People are taking profits or taking money off the table with the tech sector and moving into um, the more the more cyclical areas. You know, and energy took up the lead, I think, uh, this week. It has taken up the lead. So, again, we go back to interest rates. So if, if we get higher interest rates, then that might hurt the more speculative areas of the market, which then obviously includes the tech sector. Mm. Now, uh, Jamie, you and I, we had a chat back in December I'm talking about gold uh, hitting 2,000 once more, perhaps. And folks, if you're listening to this right now and you missed that episode, go ahead and uh, check it out. But I, I think to be fair to us, you know, a few weeks after that, right at the onset of 2021, you saw this huge spike in treasury yields. Uh, if you look at the 10-year yields right now, 
we are right now above that psychologically important 1% mark, around 115 uh, right at this very moment. Has that taken you by surprise? Um, yields going up so quickly? Yeah. Yeah, we said at the start of the year, I think, um, that yields you know, can go quite quickly. I think that that's the that's the issue in a nutshell there. Um, as long as we see yields climbing slowly and carefully, then that's fine. I think any um, very sharp increase in bond yields means you might see, you know, a fairly swift return back to sa- safety. And then you get risk assets are really pushed over the edge. If you think about it, um, you look at a dividend yield, say, on the S&P, which is 1.5%. On the Russell, it's 1.4%. So as soon as you get an increase in Treasury yields close to those levels, then that's where the tipping point comes potentially. And people start looking at bonds instead of uh, equities, and they're taking their money out of equities. Um, but the rise in, in interest rates, yeah, it goes along with the you know, the rise in inflation expectations. And we've seen that since last summer, really. The sort of key issue there is that there's been no effect on real yields. So those yields taking account of inflation, they're really still very low, you know, negative 1%. That's the lowest since 03 and historically exceptionally low. So that's the, the issue as well, is that real rates are still stuck where they are, whereas break-even inflation rates or inflation expectations are, you know, at post-crisis highs. And, you know, that's because of investors being confident that the Fed will allow inflation to run hot, you know, greater than 2%. If uh, investors aren't right, um, then that's another, you know, that again, that might be a signal, like we've said, that um, you'll see a pullback in equity prices. Um, and you are seeing, you know, inflationary pressures in, in, in different areas of the market and unit labour costs, that type of thing. The question of how long and how high will you know inflation be with this corresponding rise in interest rates? So I think you rightly pointed out it depends on how high and how long the Fed will allow U.S. inflation to overshoot. And on Yellen's side, the former Fed chair who is now the Treasury Secretary, it's also a case of whether she will be uh, tolerant of Treasury yields actually rising maybe close to that 1.4, 1.5% that we are seeing for, for the dividend yield in uh, those benchmark indices you mentioned, right? Because as the yields go higher, then it really curtails her ability to fund these government programs, those fiscal programs to help the U.S. economy recover. I don't think she'll be happy, you know, or maybe we might see a yelling, yelling. Right? That was a terrible pun. I'm sorry. That was bad. Very true. That was awful. But no, yeah, yeah. it's true. True enough. True enough. Uh, so, true so enough. whether or not the Fed and the Treasury can actually tolerate those kind of uh, high yields to get to that tipping point that you mentioned, right? Whereby then, which would trigger money to flow out of equities into Treasuries, right? Are we ready for that? Or, you know, is this spike in yields really just markets getting ahead of themselves? I'm not sure we're getting ahead of ourselves, you know, with, as we said, going back to the rollout of the vaccines and growth forecasts moving higher, then, you know, inevitably you're going to get, you know, an increase in yields, you know, which have been suppressed for so long. So I, I get the argument, you know, and I think we talked about it before with the classic inflation Easters, you know, the people who think, right, inflation's coming and higher prices are coming, you know, and, and we've had that for the last decade, you know. Uh, and it hasn't really materialised. So is this time different? Uh, classic you know, phrase. Um, are we seeing things differently this time? Potentially, 
because of the amount of stimulus, right? The historic amount levels of both government and central bank stimulus that can cause higher prices. Uh, yeah, it's a great thing that I remember, you know, QE when it first got rolled out, you know, and everybody was exceptionally wary of Japan and their issues and how long it's gone on for prices being so low. And yet um, here we are 10 years later plus uh, and we think we might, you know, we're debating whether markets are too excited about you know, higher interest rates and so forth. So, yeah, great history lesson in a way. <laughs> now, uh, going back to something you mentioned earlier, Jamie, yeah, real yields still firmly in negative territory. Uh, now, that would lead one to assume that this is great for gold prices, right? And I think we spoke about this in our previous episode as well. But if you look at gold prices, it's just been lagging, to put it kindly. It even dipped below 1800 just earlier this month. It is just trying to barely avoid a death cross right now. The idea that, you know, what we spoke about just in December, which wasn't too long ago, just a couple of months ago, 2000 gold. Do you, hmm. do you think that's still on the table, do you think? <laughs> well, it is with inflation again. You know, if we have inflation moving higher, but also the dollar, right? The dollar's been the issue the last few weeks. So the dollar's been rising, much to um, surprise of lots of forecasters. Um, and with rising US dollar and rising yields, and that's challenging for gold bears, and especially as the market is focusing on growth. So whereas, yeah, you've got inflation expectations rising, but you've also got this larger increase in, in nominal yields. So that increase in prices is outweighed by the effect of the wider economic rebound. Uh, and as you say, we went into this uh, only a few months ago. So it's that interplay between, you know, inflation and interest rates. And at the moment, um, we're seeing, you know, the wider economic rebound sort of winning over. It's only when we get the dollar softening some more and probably going below 90 on the DXY, plus inflation and prices moving higher, that then we can see better gold prices and, you know, possibly this 2000 level. I think we have established that there is plenty of euphoria in the markets right now. What else are you looking out for that could really derail that risk on sentiment? Well, here's what I'm thinking, and this is pretty recent. Have you been following the news out of South Africa yes. pausing their vaccination programs? How big of a risk is that, you think? Absolutely. Ineffective vaccines, you know, is potentially an issue, you know, so you get restrictions in place for longer. And even if governments and central banks step in again, the thought of another lost, you know, a lost year, can't imagine it, another lost few months at least, you know, with restrictions, as I said, remaining a risk, you know, probably for longer than people think until we see a, a proper increase in global vaccination rates, right? Because especially with air travel and, and all that kind of um, business travel and so forth is curtailed at the moment. So, you know, I know oil is going absolutely crackers, um, but, you know, we're not seeing that demand as yet. So that's an interesting story. But, yeah, I think ineffective vaccines is is interesting. Um, you mentioned South Africa. I think the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, you know, question marks about how effective it is against that variant in South Africa for mild and moderate illnesses. And then, like you said, increasing, you know, with the Fed adjusting the timeline, but obviously the market preempting that or or moving ahead of that. So you see this increase in long-term interest rates, which, as we said, at the moment, equities are benefiting over bonds, but potentially that might not be the case as interest rates rise. So those are a couple of issues. And like you said, 
potential US political risk with a sort of more gridlocked government. But I think, uh, you know, that news ebbs and flows. I think we're, we're going to get some sort of package. Um, and potentially if it's larger, then interestingly, you know, if it is larger, we get uh, increasing yields and increasing growth expectations then, you know, so that hastens everything in a way. Uh, it's a catch-22. Yeah, so, you know, very interesting few months ahead. And then ov- obviously we had um, the excitement of, uh, shall I bring it up, GameStop. And- <laughs> yeah. <God. laughs> um, you know, I think whole- the, the word excitement is an understatement, though. I mean, that could have marked a paradigm shift in how markets work, at least I think. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of older, I think, maybe. And... Um, <laughs> You know, the phenomenon... So, so you're not prone to such bouts of excitement. Is that what you're <laughs> well, saying? Well, it was, it, you know, the phenomenon of, you know, online community-driven stock market bubble is new and exciting, but is it's kind of as old as markets themselves, right? You know, we've always had bubbles. We've always had, you know, going back to the hun- hundreds of years ago, you know, with the tulips being more expensive than a house, you know, and, the, and that whole disconnect between, you know, economies and markets. And then... You know, in a way that sort of misallocation of capital. So, you know, traders were oblivious, didn't care about fundamentals and price. You know, that's always happened. It's just it's happened in a social media age. You know, the herd mentality has come about through that commission free trading, uh, cheap leverage availability. You know, you just had that over the course of years and years before in different ways in different guises you know so but if i may point out one fundamental difference though and you know this was uh, alluded to in my opinion piece that's been posted on a website on fxtm.com on the market analysis page shameless plug there but i think what's different this time around is uh, compared to previous bubbles is that with previous bubbles you still had that same underlying motive which is profit Right, I think what was truly remarkable, eye-opening, and perhaps earth-shattering this time around was that the profit-driven agenda went out the window. Right, it was more about this quest to teach Wall Street a lesson, that being manifested in GameStop and those dozen or so stocks, I think was pretty telling. Again, it yeah. could have longer-term implications on you know, how markets and the price mechanism, uh, sorry, the price discovery mechanism works. Hey, yeah, I mean, um, or am I reading too much into it? <laughs> no, no, I think well, it's an interesting angle. Um, I wonder whether um, I did read that the volume of uh, in those stocks in the last week or so was pretty much not that much by individuals and retail investors. It was by um, funds and so forth. So I think teaching people a lesson, if we go back, you know, when we eventually see what actually happened, funds will have made as much money as other funds losing. But obviously the headline is that we're trying to crush hedge funds who are shorting uh, GameStop and other stocks and you know they're evil and they shouldn't be allowed to do it so you know there are as we know always winners and losers in these type of things and a surprise in a way I think that we haven't had more stories of more individuals more retail investors losing everything which maybe hasn't happened or maybe people don't want to own up to because you know they just want to partake in this movement as you say yeah so barring another GameStop-esque saga looks like all signs are pointing to more gains for risk assets so encapsulate what we can expect from the markets uh, say over the coming months 
Yeah, I think as long as the stimulus is there, then, you know, that needs a home to go. Uh, there is no alternative. I think that acronym TINA, T-I-N-A, TINA, um, FOMO, YOLO, you know, everything. You know, YOLO actually came back, didn't it, with GameStop, yeah. which I'd forgotten about. So, you know, there, <laughs> TINA, I think, is a great one. You know, there is no alternative at the moment. So, you know, that money has to go somewhere. It's looking for yield. Um, and potentially then, as I've said before, if we get this increase in yields, then uh, that's the tipping point. So uh, where the market has to pull back or the market shifts from equities into fixed income and bonds, which are yielding you know, better returns. So, yeah, we'll see. Indeed. So exciting times and we'll be sure to keep you posted, uh, not just here on this podcast, but also on our market analysis, which is posted daily on our website. Just head on down to forextime.com. Jamie, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of Markets Extra. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. Be sure to tune in to our next episode available in a couple of weeks. So until then, I'm Han Tan for FXTM.